All right, good to be back with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6 this morning. I told you last time I was with you, we looked at the first half of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, which is that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. This morning, the last part of that phrase, but rejoices with the truth. Um, interesting, our song says, love speaks the truth. Uh, a little bit different in the text, love rejoices with the truth. A mother said to her uh, little child, do you know what happens uh, when little girls lie? And the little girl was very bright. She said, yep, I think I do. They grow up to be mommies who tell their little girls that they will get curly hair if they eat their spinach. Think about that. Does lying matter? Even our little girls get it when we tell them that they'll get curly. Will you get curly hair if you eat spinach? That's a lie. That doesn't give you curly hair. Does lying matter? I was uh, hearing somebody talk about somebody's last days, and I've been in this situation many times where uh, it just seems to have become normal that... The doctor says, your loved one has six months to live because of the condition of that loved one. Someone said immediately, well, do we tell them or do we lie or nothing at all? How did that become normal? Love rejoices with the truth. But David, you don't understand. If I tell my parents the truth, they will kick me out of the house. If I tell my husband the truth, he'll go ballistic. If I tell my wife the truth, she'll think I have a one-track mind. If I tell my boss the truth, I'll get fired. We are now in a world where we don't seem to be those rejoicing with the truth. And yet every time we do so, we rejoice with the truth, we will love people in a way that hits the mark. When we are not rejoicing with the truth, we are missing the mark, the target of really loving. Jesus never speaks to sinners sinfully. He always speaks the truth. And he rejoices with the truth. And we want to be like Christ. We want the love of Christ to be shed abroad in our hearts and come out of us to others. And for that to happen, we must be those who are rejoicing with the truth. Think hard about what we will need to do to get there. Um, I thought about Adam and Eve just briefly. The first sin of our parents, Adam and Eve, was embracing a lie. And when they embraced a lie, they immediately lost intimacy with God. Intimacy with one another. They became frustrated. They started blaming each other. They felt shame. They felt guilt. All of this as a result of a lie. 
Satan is known before that event and many others as the father of lies, the deceiver. So you've got the choice of truth or the choice of falsehood, lying, deceiving. One, you're aligned with Christ. One, you're aligned with the devil. God's people must be those who are rejoicing with the truth. And it's going to make us better lovers. I want this morning for you to see how the truth of God will ground us in love. It will cause us to grow in love. We will be guided by truth towards love. And we will become happy, gladdened because of rejoicing with the truth in love. First of all, let's think about how to get grounded in this love. Great passage. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 1. Strong passage on truth and love. Let me read it to you. 1 Peter 1, 22 to the end of that chapter. Hear God's word. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere Love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again. Not of seed which is perishable but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass. And all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. The flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word. Which was preached to you. Now, how did we get grounded in love? That passage explains much about love, obedience to the truth, purifies our soul for a sincere love of the brethren. But how did we get there? Verse 23 really tells us how we got there. We got there by being born again. We weren't there to begin with. We weren't born with truth in us. Which seems to be where so many people are today. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Where's truth? It's what we feel or think that's in us. But the scripture says, no, no, no. That's not where it is. And that's not how we were born. We weren't born with truth in us. We were born hostile to God. Look over at Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. Romans 8. Verse 7 and 8 says, well, I'll start at verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the spirit's life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you turn inward and say, truth is in me, you're turning to what is hostile towards God. Your mind's not on the law of God. Your mind's not on the truth of God. It can't even possibly be there. It's hostile to God. And it doesn't change until regeneration, until we are born anew, born again. Look at Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. Who will call on the name of the Lord? Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? 
How will they preach unless they're sent, just as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of these good things. However, they didn't all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How are you born again? Still in 1 Peter 1, 23. How are you born again? You're born again by hearing the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Peter mentioned it. Paul is talking about it here in Romans. Paul, Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verse 25, I'm talking about, the, verse 26, I'm talking about the word that was preached to you. Paul says, you're not going to receive the word of God, the law of God. You're not going to have regeneration. You're not going to be changed. You're not going to be grounded in the law of God, in the truth of God, without regeneration, without new birth, which requires hearing the word. So we've got to preach the word. And as the word is proclaimed, people hear it. God's spirit enables you to embrace it, believe it, trust it. And you're changed. And as soon as that change takes place, because you've believed in the truth of God, you get grounded in that truth. I'll go back at 1 Peter, and I'll begin to show you that. So this, this new birth has happened, and as that happens, you begin to obey it. Verse 22, since you have an obedience to the truth. And I thought, really, do I have that? Do I have an obedience to the truth because I've been born again? And the answer is yes. I do have a certain measure of obedience to God's word simply by the fact that I have new life. I'll give you a, a great passage I love on this. Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about our new covenant in God. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Let me read it quickly. Ezekiel 36 says, I'll, verse 25, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. Remember again, Peter talking about being a, having a purified soul. From all your, I will cleanse you from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you. There it is. You'll obey. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will have a new obedience as a result of the word of God being planted in your soul. Remember, you were hostile to it, but now you want to obey it. You have that desire. We're grounded in the truth through regeneration. We have this new ability to love. Uh, we have this new ability to hunger and thirst for truth, for the law of God. Now, let's talk about truth for a minute. What is truth? What is truth? God answers that question. You know the answer. John 14, verse 6. You know it, right? I can quote that one for you. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. See, you know it. I am the way. The truth and the life. What is truth? Jesus 
is the truth. It was read just earlier by Andrew. uh, John chapter 17, verse 17. And that passage says, so um, let me get there and read it there. John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What is truth? Jesus is truth. Jesus' word is truth. You know these answers. And you are grounded in truth because you are regenerated by Christ. Who is now in you. And you believe on His truth. You, the people of God, have the truth in Christ and in His Word. We made a grave mistake in our country in the 50s and 60s when we allowed prayer and the Bible to be removed from our educational uh, system. And so now my generation has seen that transpire. So the new generation, this is... Perhaps your most critical need is to understand truth. Because you ask someone born in the last 10 or 15, 20 years, what is truth? And they say, I don't know. I think it's something inside of me. I think it's my ability to determine something. This is what I feel is right and true, so that's truth. And that's not truth at all. Truth is not in us. Truth is outside of us. And until we see that and understand that, we have a nation, we have a people that, is, that are running and walking without a rudder, without an anchor. Truth is outside of us. It is absolute, objective, inerrant, infallible data called the Word of God. This is the truth. The Word of Christ is not negotiable. It's our standard. And when we've cast that standard aside, we now have a nation that doesn't know what truth is. How to find it. Then they're not going to find it. Except through you. And through me. Proclaiming to them. The truth. I hope. That those of you who hear this message. You understand. Your responsibility. My responsibility. That we become ambassadors. Of the truth. We need dads. Who get the truth. Into their families. We need wives who get the truth into their husbands and families. We need kids who get the truth back into the schools. We need the school teachers who get the truth back into the schools. We need employees who get the truth back into the framework of our society. We, we, we're just doing what we want to do. With, like I said, no rudder. Jesus is my rudder. Jesus is my anchor. Jesus is my rock. I stand on Him. I know which way to go because He tells me He's the truth. 
And I rejoice in knowing the difference between right and wrong, the law of God versus the laws of men. I rejoice in that. It gives such assurance every day to be grounded in the truth. Now let's go further. Love not only rejoices in the truth, we need to be got to get there first, grounded, but are we growing in the truth? Interesting analogy in 1 Peter. He says uh, this, verse 22, since you have it in obedience to the truth, purify your soul for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another for the heart, for you've been born again, not of a seed, there it is, not of a seed which is perishable. Now, if you've ever planted a garden, you take a seed, you put it in the ground, and what does it do? It dies. It perishes. You don't get growth unless the seed dies. And Peter says this is interesting. The truth of God planted in us never dies. It's an imperishable seed. It just always grows and grows and grows within us. So you start with a little knowledge of Christ and His law and His word and you begin to follow Him and obey Him and you see that you just grow and grow. Because it's so fun to get off the slippery surfaces, to get on solid rock, to have surety in your direction, in your life, in your living, in your loving You stand there, and you stay there, and you grow there over and over and over, like this imperishable seed, how the Word of God is active in us. Look at Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. What a classic passage on how the Word of God grows within us. Psalm 1, the first three verses. If you don't know this one, this, this is crucial for you to go ahead and memorize and stand upon Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. That's growth, friends. That's growth. Whatever we do, whatever our job, whatever our function, we will prosper as we Take delight in the law of God. Meditate on it day and night. As we turn away from this ungodly, unbiblical, unsure ideas of our society and turn back to the Word of God, we grow, we prosper, regardless of the pandemic. Right now, there is a pandemic of truth. The world doesn't know what is truth. But we do. Christ is truth. His word is truth. And we keep growing as a result of that. When they are shriveling and shrinking, we are growing. I was excited when the schools started opening back up. I thought here was an opportunity for the church like never before. 
because politicians were claiming they didn't have any choice but to turn loose of our tax dollars that had been given to education. If your school was going to be closed down, they were going to let you take the money and take it to a school that was open. Well, that didn't last very long. That, was, that would have been wonderful. But it didn't last because nobody wants to lose their grip on their money. But just what would happen if everybody went back to a school that had the standard, that had the truth. What a time we need. The next generations are going to need more and more homeschoolers. They're going to need more and more Christian schools. We're going to need more and more Christian ambassadors to the public sector for the specific purpose of how to get the Word of God back into the lives of the next generation. Because if it's not there, they're not going to grow. Starts with not being grounded, and then there's no prosperity. There's no real growth without truth. You've got to know what the standard is to know really what the target is and where you're headed and what needs to happen. God grows us in truth. Some people say, no, no, no. All you got to do is just be, we just need community. We just need to be together. Put two Christians side by side. Will you have growth? Not if that's all you have. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Take two mirrors. And let's face the mirror. I'm looking at the mirror on my right. And now I'm looking at the mirror on my left. So that I've got two mirrors facing each other. Now I get out of the way. And you just look at those two mirrors any growth happening? Anything happening? You don't see anything. You would with these lights on. But let's suppose you got a dark room. And then you take a candle, light the candle, put it down between the two mirrors. What happens? That flicker of light hits each mirror. And it's bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. And then there's this excitement. What did you just do? You put, this, you put the truth between two believers. When you put the word of God into us, between us, that we can talk about and grow in and uh, challenge each other on and encourage each other towards the right direction. You see, then we grow. But the absence of truth is the absence of light and all you have then is darkness. I remember our first church we were in. It's a small church and we were there for about five years. And the pastor before me was a godly man. He retired in that church. And so I spent time over at his house asking him how to do it and trying to follow his routine. And one of the things he did was he visited people all the time. And so I had this goal. I was going to visit everybody in the church at least once a year and this certain number of folks he had been visiting every week. And I achieved that for a couple of years. You can do that when you've got a small church. It works. Well, after two years, I really got frustrated. And I said, now I've been doing this for two years, this ministry thing, and I can't tell that the church is any different. And so I asked my pastor friend, you know, what's going on? I, I don't see any difference. I said, do you do the same thing over and over and over and expect different results? I said, that seems foolish to me. So what's, what's wrong with this scenario? 
And I came to the conclusion what the church needed was not a pastoral visitation program. What the church needed was the application of the truth. We were getting together. We were putting two Christians together. But the Word of God was not between us. And the Word of God needed to be proclaimed. It needed to be preached. We needed to go deeper into the Word of God. We needed the power of His Spirit through the preaching of the Word of God. And in a few years, the church had doubled. No visitation program. Because the visitation program is not in the standard. We've invented that. And when you got back to the Word of God and preached it, People were grounded. People started growing. Lives were changed. And a standard, again, was established. And you can have that in your life. I can have it in mine. Which is one of the reasons we must get back to church and honor God on His law on the Sabbath day and hear the preaching of the Word. Why? Because God does something. He says, you don't have a preacher because I haven't sent you one yet. He says, I send people. I didn't apply for this job. God asked me to do it. He forced me to do it. I surrender. I subdued myself to the will of God to proclaim His truth. And now after doing it for some number of years, I I get overwhelmed. This morning as I was praying, I said, Lord, I cannot believe that you've chosen me to hold out in front of these precious folks the words of life. Who gets to do that? That you have chosen this sinner to express the inexpressible, the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's what you get when you come to the preaching of the Word of God. You get a poor sinner proclaiming the unfathomable riches of Christ. And it grows us. Not only grows us, grounds us, but it guides us. I want you to see more and more the direction God's Word takes us. Back in 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 22 since you have in obedience to the truth purified your soul. Just think about what that means. Your souls get cleaned up for a sincere, a sincere love of the brethren, for a fervent love of one another, and it's from the heart. Think about what is happening here because of this obedience to the truth, a sincere love, a fervent love, a heartfelt love. We are guided into that kind of love. Getting back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. Love rejoicing with the truth. A sincere love. A heartfelt love. A fervent love. That's what God is giving us. Um, this complete love. Just I call it complete. Sincere just means always, all the time. public and private. It's kind of like I thought of the man Job and Christ. When Job was going through the toughest of times, he he makes his uh, 
unbelievable statement right in the middle of his book. He said, though God slay me, I will still trust him. It's like, I don't care how bad it gets, I am all in. Even if he kills me, I'm not going to stop. That's a sincere love for God. Or Christ on the cross, when everybody's crying, if you, if you really, God, just come down for the cross. No, Christ stayed on the cross. He loved us to the end. A sincere love, complete, 100%. That's the kind of love God's going to guide you in. Wouldn't it be neat if all the Christians, that's where we're headed, become such that the way we are in public is the way we are in private and vice versa? That we're 100% all the time, sincerely for Christ and His Word, and we don't even think about something other than that. And it's a compassionate love. I love this phrase here, a love for one another from the heart. What does that mean? It's blood love. You know, blood's thicker than water. It's love that's not shallow. It's love that's as deep. I love you as deep as my heart. That's as deep as I can go. That's where God's taken us. That kind of love for one another. You know, as I, I think about, oh, I just I hate this uh, coronavirus pandemic where people are not being guided by the Word of God, but by man's collection of data that's always changing. They're rudderless. Instead of taking a standard, God's absolute, inerrant, infallible standard, and using that. But where was I going? I was thinking of this, this love that's from the heart. I've had several people during this time, one that lost somebody to, by death, other in this um, very... Uh, unsettling situation. Both times I, I, I went to these people and, and I, I wanted to, to embrace them and, and just hug them and pray with them. And so I'm walking towards them, my hands extended, you know, I'm trying to, we're going to shake, we're going to hug, what are we going to do? And as I'm getting closer, they're backing up. And I'm thinking, oh, that mask means you don't want me any closer. Six feet. And try, so I try to minister six feet away. And it's like, no matter all the words I'm saying, you can't feel me, can you? You can't feel my heart. You can't, if I can't touch you, you, you don't see me weeping, really, on the inside for you at hurting for you, and you don't really get the connection of my prayers for you. God's guiding us to a closeness with one another that's from the heart. And people say, but, but you might bring me a virus. Yes, I might, but you know what? To me, you're worth it, and I'm worth it to you. And we need one another badly. God's going to take care of our health. What does it matter if we gain the whole world's health system but lose our soul? 
I want a love that flows from the soul, from the heart of man, where that's more valuable than the flesh of man. And that's the kind of love that God guides us into. It's a fervent, sincere, heartfelt kind of love. That fervent word there, the the word for fervency, it just screams with intensity. That's how I want to love you more and more and more. I know what intense is. Uh, I get criticized for being a workaholic. I get that. My staff has criticized me. My elders have criticized me. My wife has criticized me. I must be one. I enjoy working 16-hour days. I just feel a sense of accomplishment when I work that hard. What do you call that? You call it stupid, okay? You're burning the candle at both ends. I get that. What, I think that's the kind of love God wants us to have, though. I, I get that workaholism is wrong. I get that. And I, I try to channel it now at the right places. But I want to love you burning the candle at both ends. In other words, as far as I'm concerned, as far as what God is doing in my life, you are worth the sacrifice. And I've told that to my family. I've told that to some of you when you call me up and you say, I need help, David. And I know you're extremely busy and I know you're working yourself to the bone, but I still need help. And you've heard me say, you're worth the sacrifice. Let me see what I can lay down. Let me see what I can give up. Because I want to love you fervently. That's what life's about. That's the kind of love God puts in us. It's rejoicing with His standard that there's things more valuable than this world has to offer. And that is love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? I want to show you. Remember how it started? Paul says, I want to show you a better way. It's the way of love. And Peter adding to that, yeah, and it's a fervent love, and it's a sincere love, and it's from the heart. It's grounded in truth. It grows us in truth. It guides us according to the truth. And oh yeah, one more thing. It gladdens us. Don't want to neglect that word. Rejoice. Rejoices with the truth. Do you find delight in the truth? Does the truth make you happy? I've told many people, you've heard me say it here many times, I want you to read through your Bible. I want you to read your Bible every day. I want you to get all the way through, and I want you to get all the way through over and over again. And we've got a great group of ladies in our church that are doing that, succeeding at it, and I know others of you, men and women and families and kids, are getting into your word, and that makes us a strong church. But I tell you, don't just get into the Bible. Don't just read the Bible every day. Don't just read all the way through the Bible. Your goal is this. When you open the Word, morning, evening, noon, I don't care when. When you open the Word and you start reading, the goal is to read until you are happy in Jesus. Until you're rejoicing at what you're hearing. You are hearing the words of life. You are hearing the inestimable grace of salvation. 
You are getting a sure word of direction and counsel. And that should cause you great rejoicing. And you're missing it if you're not rejoicing in the truth. Back up to Psalm 1 with me again. Remember the emphasis. Blessed starts with blessed, which some have translated happy. Happy. Rejoicing. Joyful is the man. Blessed is the man who does not walk according to the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the path of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of the scoffer, but his, next word, delight. Some of you said it. But his delight, his delight is in the law of God. It's his joy to be in the the Word. It didn't say it was his program. It didn't say it was his plan to check it off. But his delight is in the law of God. And in it, he's he's so filled with joy and, and wonder and pleasure and happiness that he meditates on it day and night. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from what pleases you. He's so pleased by it. He prospers by it. It grounds him, grows him, guides him. It gives him joy after joy after joy through each day. I don't know about you. I'm happy in Jesus. I am happy in Jesus. God is so good, so gracious to me. I'll show you an interesting one. I just thought about it. I missed this when I was preaching on Romans, and I'm going to get back to that, Lord willing. Romans chapter 7, verse 22, real quick. Romans 7, verse 22, Paul is talking about, I am struggling, I'm a sinner, I got all these problems that's going on, and I don't know how to escape except through Christ. Verse 21, he says, I find this principle that evil is in me. Ugh! It scares me to death. Evil, sin is in me. The one who wants to do good. You miss the conclusion sometimes. Verse 22, I joyfully, how does he do it? Joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man. He says, The way out of this is to delight myself in the law of God. Make that my pleasure. As that's my pleasure, I start getting direction and guidance on all that I need uh, for life. Make yourself happy in Christ. Well, I hope... uh, you see the need to rejoice with the truth. That's what love does. Husband, are you taking your family to the truth of God? Sometimes, some time during the week? Say, no, my wife's not really into that, or she doesn't really help me with that. It's just crazy around here. It's not happening. Wife, beautiful bride, are you taking your family into the word of God? Graciously, gently, no. Husband, he just, he's not into that. 
That's what I hear. So I asked them both, well, do you think it would be beneficial if you did it? You got into the Word of God on a daily basis, or at least a regular basis, and started praying together. And both say, that are not doing it, they both said, yes, yeah, that, that would be good for us. Okay. So what's it going to take? What's it going to take to get you there? What's it going to take to get all of us regularly rejoicing with the truth, delighting ourselves in God's word? Perhaps it's going to start with repentance. That you're going to repent of the idea that truth is already in you. And you can determine what you need to do based on what you feel and think. When we, when anyone dismisses the word of God... And starts looking inward for the standard that is just in us, then you immediately become a selfish sinner finding fault with everybody else that's not like you. Because, see, they're not living up to that standard that you've created inside yourself. And so you find fault with them, and that leads to all sorts of disunity, unrest, disruption. Uh, and that's our society. The standard is outside of us. It's the Word of God. And we must feed upon it day after day. So repent of any notion that you're going to be okay without truth. You know, we're fixing to go to presidential elections. Isn't it crazy? Now we have a, a presidential, excuse me, debates. Now we have debates, and the first thing we have to do after the debate is listen to the fact, fact-finding team. And then we have to change networks and listen to another fact-finding team, talk about the fact-finding team, that nobody has the facts. Nobody has the truth. We're all accustomed to lies. What's it going to take? We've got to repent of that notion the truth's in us. We get to determine it. And we've got to turn back to the law of God. And it's got to be worth it. It will make your soul happy. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, the truth cannot come into you. I already read it in Romans chapter 10. You cannot find Christ except by faith. Trust Him as your Lord and Savior. That you may know truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He's life, and that life is abundant. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. It is a lamp to my path. It is a light to my feet. It's sweeter than honey, more joyful than my highest pleasure. Father, help us to turn from the notions we have been fed. The truth's what we want to make it. 
And let us come back to rejoicing in the inerrant, infallible word you have deposited in your church. We thank you for it. We thank you for elders who protect and guard it. We thank you for a church that's run by it. Lord, let us individually eat your word daily. Let it be our diet and our delight. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.